Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert webinar, The Deep Bite Challenge, Techniques to Approach the Correction of Deep Bite with Invisalign. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce our first speaker today, Dr. Bill Geary. Dr. Bill Geary reached the level of Invisalign Elite Advantage Provider in 2005 and has been treating Invisalign patients at his Wilmington, North Carolina practice since 2001. Providing quality orthodontics since 1998, Dr. Geary also lectures at the Department of Orthodontics at the University of North Carolina. He has published research on tooth eruption with Dr. William R. Prophet and contributed uh, Invisalign material to the fourth edition of Contemporary Orthodontics. So without further ado, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Geary. Dr. Geary, you now have the floor. Thank you, David. And uh, I'd like to say uh, welcome to everyone on the call today, and let's go ahead and get started. So we are going to be discussing techniques to approach correction of deep bite with Invisalign. Uh, just to get my disclaimer out of the way, uh, and I'm not going to read that for you since you can see it, um, but uh, just know that the um, opinions expressed in this presentation are, that, are those of the presenter and do not necessarily um, are not necessarily supported by Align Technology. So let's let's get into correction of deep bite with Invisalign. I'd like to briefly discuss the rationale for using Invisalign with deep bite patients. And one of the big things with Invisalign is it allows you to start leveling the lower arch sooner than you can with braces, particularly if you're thinking of a patient that's class two, division two, uh, where you might have uh, the upper incisors biting into the lower brackets. Uh, most people would, especially in adults, would put their upper braces on first and develop some overjet so that you can get the clearance you need to put the lower braces on. With Invisalign, you can actually start leveling the lower arch from day one. Uh, many of the deep bite patients, especially the adults, will have wear uh, on their incisors. Um, again, thinking of the class two division two patient, they may have significant wear on the linguals of the upper and the facial of the lower. So the occlusal coverage of the aligners protects the, the teeth against further wear uh, while you're aligning the teeth. There are some challenges uh, in, in treating deep bites uh, with aligners. The occlusal coverage causes a transient posterior intrusion. So when you're wearing aligners really well, you know, 20, 22 hours a day, uh, you'll often get some uh, transient intrusion of the posterior teeth, and this becomes apparent to the patients when they take their aligners out uh, in the morning, uh, you know, to eat breakfast, and their front teeth come together, but they have a, a slight posterior open bite. Uh, when you get this transient posterior intrusion, the mandible will then auto-rotate forward and up, and this has the effect of reducing, or sorry, increasing your overbite and reducing your overjet. So if you think about it, if the mandible auto-rotates, uh, the lower incisor is going to come up and it's going to come forward, and it may uh, cause you to run out of overjet. And, and most importantly, the real world tends not to match what you see in the ClinCheck. So let's discuss the methods to de decrease overbite in the deep bite patient. Well, we, we can do relative posterior extrusion, absolute anterior extrusion, or absolute posterior extrusion. And so I want to touch on each of these briefly. So relative posterior extrusion is analogous to using reverse curve arch wires. And, and Jonathan's going to cover this, uh, so I'm not going to get into much detail uh, about this method. Um, it can increase the mandibular plane angle and increase face height. And it's tip, you typically see a combination of premolar extrusion and some in, incisor intrusion. So relatively speaking, you get a, a relative uh, leveling or relative extrusion of the posterior teeth. What about absolute anterior intrusion? Well, the occlusal coverage of the aligners makes this a very effective movement uh, with Invisalign. 
uh, adding virtual bike ramps, which I will discuss uh, in just a few slides, can assist with the intrusion. And it is necessary to have one or two attachments posterior to the intruding teeth uh, to help keep the aligner in place. Okay, on to absolute posterior extrusion. Forced eruption of posterior teeth can be difficult uh, with occlusal coverage appliances like Invisalign. So the key is, is you have to get some disclusion of the posterior teeth or, or do this one side at a time. Uh, and so that would be, you know, thinking of like a, a surgery patient where you're leveling the, the curve of speed post-surgery. Um, it's difficult to do that with an occlusal coverage appliance in place. So you would either need to, um, you know, section the aligner and use some uh, auxiliaries with elastics or to section one side of the aligner, uh, extrude it, and then uh, with a new aligner, section the other side and extrude it. So how do you decide which of these three methods for opening deep bites is the best? Well, we have to first evaluate the patient's facial aesthetics. We need to determine if the incisor display is adequate or excessive. Look at the patient's face height. Look at the patient's uh, curve of speed. And then optimize your strategy based on those that information. So uh, again, you may uh, have conflicting uh, information, so you have to, at, at that point, you know, optimize and make a decision. So let's look at some examples. So here's a patient who, when we look at the close-up smile, we see excessive gingival display. Uh, when we look at the intraoral photo, we see a definitely deep overbite, 100%. When you look at the uh, center open photo, you can see that the patient has a deep uh, or super eruption of the uh, six anterior teeth, uh, but also a, a accentuated curve of speed. So then we look at the patient's profile and we see that she is somewhat long in the lower third of the face. And if you superimpose the CEPH on this, you can see that this patient has a high mandibular plane angle. So if all things being equal, I'm trying to open this patient's deep bite, um, you know, the excessive gingival display and deep curve of speed would lead me to more incisor intrusion on a patient like this than uh, relative extrusion of the posterior teeth. I don't want to, in a patient who has a, a, a long lower face height, uh, open their mandibular plane angle and give them an even longer face. Let's contrast her to this patient who's about the same age. And if you look at the close-up smile on this patient, we don't have excessive uh, incisor or gingival display on smile. And if you look at the intraoral photo, you can see that we do have uh, some deep bite. And you look at the into the center open photo, you can see that there is an accentuated curve of speed and some super eruption of the uh, lower uh, six anterior teeth. Looking at the patient's profile, completely different story here. We have a uh, short lower facial height. We have a, and superimposing the cef, we have a flat mandibular plane angle. This is a patient who would benefit from relative extrusion of the, of the lower posterior teeth, uh, but not, I would not want to do any intrusion of this patient's upper incisors because her incisal display is actually inadequate to start with. So I'd want to intrude the, the lower anterior teeth, extrude the posterior teeth, and, and almost try to extrude the upper incisors in a patient like this. Let's talk a little bit about the, the transient posterior intrusion we see when we're wearing aligners full-time. So uh, if you look at this slide, you'll see on the, on the left-hand side, we have stage zero. And so uh, the upper photo shows a patient who I was treating for an open bite, and I'm trying to close the open bite. And if you look at the, uh, the upper uh, clinical photo versus the ClinCheck on the left, you see that it matches pretty nicely. This is stage zero. Then if you look at the photo on the right where the patient is at stage 22, 
you'll notice in the in the lower right uh, box that the patient should still have some uh, open bite uh, on the upper right one. But if you look at the patient's clinical photo, you see that the, there actually is some overlap of the incisors. And what's happened in this patient is because she was such a good aligner wearer, she got some transient posterior intrusion, the mandible has auto-rotated not only up but forward. You can see in the photo that not only does she have more overbite than you would uh, expect in the clinch check, but she has less overjet because the, the lower incisors have come up and forward. And so this can really cause some, some problems if you're trying to uh, open a deep bite because that transient posterior intrusion um, always makes the bite a little deeper than it would be in, in ClinCheck. And I learned that lesson the hard way on this patient. This is a patient I treated uh, in early 2002. You can see that the patient had 49 aligners initially, um, and in the middle uh, column of photos, uh, the upper middle column, she's supposed to look like that in the ClinCheck with very little overbite. Uh, and if you look at her actual clinical photo, she has quite a bit more overbite than, than was predicted. So then we did a, re a refinement on her. And if you look at the final photo, it's not a very impressive uh, opening of the bite in this patient. And what I didn't appreciate back in 2002 was this transient posterior intrusion that, that we often see with aligner wear was really uh, making my job a lot harder in trying to open the bite. Uh, and you can see, you know, the, the curve of speed was somewhat leveled in this patient, but I still, because of the transient posterior intrusion, I never could quite get her bite opened. So I want to contrast that patient with this one. So this is a patient I treated a, a few years ago. Um, if you look at the center open photo, she's got quite an accentuated curve of speed, super erupted teeth. She has, you know, over 100% overbite. Uh, you know, she's class one in the buccal segments, but has that class two division two appearance to the incisors with them being retroclined. If you look at her incisor display, well, first we'll look at the Panorex. Uh, you know, no, no wisdom teeth, nothing terribly interesting on the Panorex. Uh, on the head film, we can see how deep the bite is. You know, mandibular plane angle is normal for her. Uh, if you look at the close-up smile, she has, uh, she does show full incisor and some gingiva. So, you know, our problem list is she has a severe deep bite, super erupted lower three to three, retroclined incisors, moderate crowding. And so we'll look at her ClinCheck. Sorry about that. Let's see if this is working now. There we go. Okay. That always terrifies me on a, on a webinar. So we can see that we're intruding upper uh, incisors a little bit and lower incisors quite a bit in this patient. Looking at the occlusal views, We can see the change in, in size or angulation. Let me run through this lower one again. I apologize. Uh, this was working perfectly this morning. Okay, there we go. So we can see the change in, in size or angulation. And we were able to generate some significant lingual root torque. Now, the difference between this patient and the one I treated previously, again, the power ridges, uh, are you know, very helpful in terms of generating the lingual root torque. But the difference between this patient and the one I showed you earlier, and here we can see the leveling of the lower arch, and that was at refinement. 
And then this is her initial 23 aligners. We can see the bite is mostly open at this point. Uh, the difference between the, the first patient I showed you and this one is that I used virtual bite ramps in the second patient. And so I know many on the, on the call are probably wondering what are virtual bite ramps. Uh, so these are lingually placed uh, faux attachments, upper two to two. They are not bonded to the teeth. So what we're interested in is to actually have the attachment bubble in the aligner and the patient's lower teeth will occlude against it, but you do not bond uh, the attachments. These are, are just, uh, they function like a, a bite turbo, uh, so they're a virtual bite ramp. Uh, you can make them, you know, 1.25. Actually, you can probably go up to as much as 2 millimeters thick. Um, typically, they'd be horizontal. Uh, CRT stands for crown root tipper. So basically, they're a horizontal rectangular attachment. They're placed at the level you would like the lower incisors to finish, or uh, you can place them one, one millimeter more incisal for a slight amount of overcorrection. Uh, if you, in a patient with a larger overjet, you think about it, if you have a patient with five or six millimeters of overjet, they're not going to come into contact with the, the virtual bite ramp. So if you orient the bite ramp vertically, they'll actually pick up contact with the lower incisors a little earlier. Uh, and so the virtual bite ramps, they disclude the posterior teeth. So if you look at this photo, here's a, a different patient who's class two, division two, and I'm uh, running class two elastics on them, but you notice with the aligner in place, and there's virtual bite ramps built into this aligner, that the patient's posterior teeth are discluded. So as the lower incisors bite into the aligner, uh, you eliminate that transient posterior intrusion because the posterior teeth are actually discluded with the aligners in place. Uh, looking at the, the difference between orient and the virtual bite ramps, either horizontally or vertically, uh, again, in the upper photos, you'll see horizontally oriented uh, virtual bite ramps. And you notice that the patient's lower incisors actually bite behind uh, the virtual bite ramps. So in a patient like this, until the overjet is reduced, they're not going to come into contact uh, with those virtual bite ramps. So they'll basically have no effect. They, they won't be useful in opening the bite. But if, look at what happened in the same patient where I just changed the orientation of the bite ramps from horizontal to vertical, and, and particularly in the lower left photo, you, you can see how the lower incisors are actually colliding into the virtual bite ramps. So this would have the effect of uh, giving you earlier contact uh, with the virtual bite ramps. Um, ClinCheck actually sees this as a collision between the lower incisors uh, and the uh, virtual bite ramps. So uh, sometimes that will generate a comment from a, uh, if you have a technician who has not used these before, they, they may give you an error message that, uh, you know, that the lower uh, incisors are colliding with the upper attachments. And so, um, you know, virtual bite ramp is a word that, is getting more and more familiar in Costa Rica, so I think a lot of the technicians have had experience with them. Uh, and so it just if you get that error message, uh, sometimes you just need to explain what you're using them for. Um, clinically, what it does is it discludes the posterior teeth, and I've got a slide just to demonstrate that. So in the upper slide, what we see is how ClinCheck actually sees the, um, the virtual bite ramps. It sees it as a collision between the lower incisor and the virtual bite ramp. And so you'll, you'll notice on the... Uh, that the two things are occupying the same, you know, same space at the same time. In the real world, what actually happens is when that lower incisor comes up and hits the virtual bite ramp, it's going to disclude the posterior teeth, and that's what I've tried to demonstrate in this slide. Um, the lower incisors are going to come up, they'll hit the virtual bite ramp, and there'll be some space between the posterior teeth, and that's going to eliminate that transient posterior intrusion. So here's our same patient with refinement. 
So we you do a refinement to open the bite just a little bit more. Slight change in the incisor angulations. And here's the final Panorex. And head film. Again, mandibular plane in this patient didn't change. We weren't doing much in the way of relative extrusion. It was mostly absolute anterior intrusion. And so here's our initial photo. You can see the super erupted teeth. Here we were at refinement. Here we are at the end of refinement. Um, this is the best picture I had that showed this level. This was the same day we did a little uh, laser gingivoplasty uh, and phrenectomy on this patient um, to even up her gingiva and to give her, uh, she actually had some additional enamel um, uh, to display. So we, and then here she is after she's healed for a few weeks. And so we have on the left uh, where she looked after her initial 23 aligners. Uh, we had 10 refinement aligners, which she wore, and that's the beginning of the refinement is the middle photos. And then on the right, we have the final photo um, after she's partially healed from the laser gingivoplasty. And that's 16 and a half months of, of total treatment time, which I think, you know, I, I don't think I can open bites this deep with braces much faster than that. Uh, if anything, in a patient like this, I would have probably put her upper braces on for three to six months before uh, bonding the lower up. So even though the lower arch was the arch that needed most of the leveling, you know, I would have been somewhere three to six months in the treatment before I ever started on the rate-limiting step in this patient. So I, you know, I probably would have told this patient 18 to 24 months uh, in braces. And so here we have uh, the top row, uh, initial end of the initial and beginning of the refinement, and then the bottom row is end of, uh, at the end of refinement. And here's some close-up smiles, initial, end of the initial round, and end of the refinement. Let's talk a little bit about adding a bite ramp to your aligner during treatment. Let's say that you have some patients that are currently in treatment and you, you look at this technique and you say, you know, that might actually help me. I'm, I'm getting some transient posterior intrusion in my patients, uh, but I didn't build virtual bite ramps into their aligners. What do I do? I don't want to start over with a mid-course correction because everything is tracking well. Well, you can actually add bite ramps to your aligners during treatment, and you do that with uh, the little plier that's shown in the picture on the bottom right. It's called the bite ramp forming plier, and uh, my good friend Keith Hilliard uh, invented this uh, plier. It's, it's part of his thermoforming uh, plier technique. Um, you basically mark the patient's aligner, have the patient put the aligner in, have them bite down on articulating paper with the upper and lower aligners in place. That'll show you where they're occluding, and then you use the bite plane plier to squeeze a bite plane in the aligner. You have to heat the plier. Sorry, I misspelled aligner in that slide. Um, you have to heat the plier up with a uh, torch, and that thermoforming plier set is available uh, from Ethics, um, and you can go and check it out. There's a whole kit with a, 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 a um, torch to heat the pliers, a thermometer to check the temperature, um, and then the pliers are available. Uh, if you stretch the plastic very thin, it's going to become weaker, uh, so you, sometimes you have to reinforce this with composites, so that, uh, and particularly in somebody who's a 
Bruxer or Grinder, um, they can actually crush the uh, attachment bubbles. I don't see that so much with the Invisalign aligners because the uh, uh, virtual bite ramps are full thickness plastic, uh, but when you actually add them to an aligner because you're actually stretching the plastic and thinning it out um, in, in a severe Bruxer, they can, cl they can cr uh, crush the bite ramps. There's another way to add bike ramps uh, to retainers or in-house aligners, and that's with the OrthoArch anterior bike ramp mini mold. So the OrthoArch mini molds are a uh, set of silicon rubber molds, and they come in different shapes. I use them for habit cones and, and thumb and tongue uh, habits. Uh, they also make a button former. But this uh, bike ramp mini mold is very useful for adding bike ramps to, to retainers or uh, in-house aligners. So you fill the, the uh, min mini miniature mold with composite or blockout material and light cure it. And then you place it on your model, uh, your plaster model at the desired height, tack it in place with either some blockout resin or composite and cure it. And then you vacuum form your retainer or in-house aligner uh, the, you can either remove the composite or leave it in place, and I've got some photos that show that. So here's what the mini mold looks like. It comes with a little uh, plastic stick so that you can hold on to it. Uh, here I'm filling it with some blockout resin, and here we're light curing the blockout resin, which g gives you this nice little bite ramp, and then you can attach the bite ramp to your uh, plaster model. And then in this series of slides showing vacuum forming uh, a retainer over the virtual bike ramps, and I found these useful in patients where if I, particularly if I had a patient who uh, had some TMD symptoms, and, you know, we put them in aligners with virtual bike ramps, and they actually got some alleviation of the symptoms. I've, I've had the case happen where I didn't put the bike ramps in the patient's retainer, and they'll come back to me a month or two later and say, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get some symptoms, and I think it's related to my clenching. I've, I've actually had where I've gone back and then made them a new retainer with bike ramps, and they've actually found some additional relief from that. Um, this is particularly effective for clenching, and here's what it looks like in place. So you can see the posterior teeth are discluded, um, you know, and what this is doing is, in a clencher is basically tricking the body. Um, when you put all the proprioception for, from clenching on two lower incisors, you're basically taking advantage of your body's own bite opening reflex, uh, because two lower incisors are going to feel uh, clenching as, as a traumatic event, and you're going to you know, basically fool the body and take advantage of that bite opening reflex. What do virtual bite ramps actually do? Well, the biggest thing they do is they eliminate the transient posterior intrusion that we see in many patients who are good aligner wearers. And so just the nature of occlusal coverage appliances um, is if you're wearing them very well every day, you know, for months and months and sometimes even, you know, a year or two years with Invisalign, um, you can generate some transient posterior intrusion. And so by discluding the posterior teeth, you eliminate that. Um, they also can be uh, helpful in aiding crossbite corrections, both anterior and posterior crossbites, uh, because they do uh, allow you to disclude the teeth. It adds an intrusive force to the lower incisors, and so if you're intruding lower teeth, uh, having them biting on the, the bite ramps can be helpful in terms of adding some additional force. And, and I, this is not something I can prove, but this is something that I, I think is going on. Um, it may cause a slight clockwise rotation of the lower occlusal plane. Uh, you would probably need 500 CEFs uh, traced, um, you know, to get enough power in your study to, to demonstrate this. And the truth is, it's working so well for me, I really... You know, I'd rather spend my energy on something that I, that I, I haven't figured out a way to fix. Um, but that's just, uh, I can't prove that, but that's my thoughts or my belief, the last one.
So in conclusion, I think we're going to finish right, right up on time. Um, aligners can be very effective, uh, very effectively used to treat deep bites. Uh, that's not something that, that I thought in 2002. I think we've got various options, and, and in a second, Jonathan's going to show you another way to open deep bites, but I think the key is we have to evaluate the facial aesthetics to decide how we should open the bite, what's the most uh, advantageous way in, in your particular patient. Relative extrusion of premolars and absolute extrusion of incisors are the most common methods to reduce overbite. And I think the use of virtual bite ramps can assist with both of these kinds of movements. So I think this is going to dovetail in and complement nicely what Jonathan's getting ready to show you. And I'm going to, David, I'm going to turn this over to you, and I'm going to remember to mute my microphone. Well, thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Geary. Wonderful presentation. Uh, we'll get ready to switch this over to Dr. Uh, Nikosissis. Dr. Nikosissis, you now have the ball, so you can uh, begin to share your uh, desktop. I just wanted to remind everyone that um, you can ask text questions throughout the presentation, so please feel free to do that. And if you will, please identify the speaker that you would like the question to go to, and then I'll make it uh, easier, easier on us uh, at the conclusion of the program. So now that we have Dr. Nikosis' presentation up, uh, I'm going to go ahead and start with his introduction. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce our second speaker today, Dr. Jonathan Nikosis. Dr. Nik Dr. Jonathan Nikosis reached the level of Invisalign Elite Advantage provider in 2005 and has been treating Invisalign patients at his private practice in Princeton, New Jersey since 2001. He has taught Invisalign courses, conducted regional study clubs, and lectured at the Invisalign summits. Dr. Nikosis has earned his DMD at the University of Pennsylvania and his MS in Certificate in Orthodontics from Temple University. He's a diplomat of the ABO and a member of the Angle Society. So without further ado, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Nikosis. Dr. Nikosis, you now have the floor. Great. Thank you, David. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, it's uh, an honor to be uh, part of this uh, uh, inaugural event with two speakers uh, and discussing such a uh, challenging topic that has uh, uh, plagued us for, for many years, treating deep overbites with the liners. Uh, just to start my um, disclaimer slide here, the views I'm about to present to you are that of, of me and not necessarily endorsed by a line, um, but let's get started. By way of introduction, like extrusion and treating anterior open bites, correcting deep overbites with the liners has evolved from thinking that it was really an impossibility for us to do clinically to becoming much more of a clinical challenge, provided that we are designing the ClinCheck properly. As with any treatment planning, it's very important to understand the etiology of the deep overbite, as is the type of patient that you're treating, adults versus teenagers. With adults, they tend to have lingually tilted and super-erupted lower anterior teeth, and this creates a two-step occlusal plane as we transition from the posterior dentition to the anterior, and this is also many times combined with lingually inclined upper anterior teeth as well. So as Bill pointed out in one of his cases, this is kind of a, a class one division two, uh, if you will, uh, where we have uh, lingually tilted upper and lower anterior teeth, uh, yet we're still class one. And of course the overbite uh, is uh, excessive. With these adult patients and these deep overbites, uh, over the years, there has become excessive wearing of the incisal edges of, of these teeth. And so our goal uh, as part of uh, the, uh, the team uh, is to reverse what's gradually happened over time, keeping in mind any restorative treatment plan that uh, may be involved with your general dentist. Uh, so if we look at uh, the lower right here, 
you can see how somehow tooth number 26 has um, uh, been spared out of harm's way, but yet the rest of the incisors are fairly uh, worn down. Transversely, adults tend to have lingually inclined teeth in the buccal segments as well, so when we unravel this crowding, develop the arch forms, uprighting these clinical crowns uh, helps improve the curve of Wilson, which also can help with our overbite correction. And so you can see a kind of a, a mandibular arch that's somewhat lingually tilted in, in the uh, buccal segments, and uprighting that, doing some arch form development will help uh, upright uh, I'm sorry, it will help uh, increase, uh, decrease the overbite, rather, correct the overbite. With teenagers, they tend to have deep uh, curves of speed uh, that can be leveled in a very similar fashion as with fixed appliances, and this, uh, like adults, can also be ac uh, accompanied with lingually inclined upper anterior incisors. With teenagers, however, we do have the luxury of differential jaw growth and vertical facial growth that we can use to our advantage when we're correcting deep overbites uh, with teens, that we don't have that luxury uh, of uh, differential jaw growth with our adult patients. As Bill mentioned, the advantage uh, that we have with the liners is that we can start correcting both arches, or the overbite rather, on both arches from the beginning, rather than wait uh, up to a half a year or more to uh, get the upper anterior teeth up and out of the way before we bond lower appliances, uh, or we don't have to use uh, any bite turbos or occlusal um, uh, surface bondings or bite razors that may prove to be uncomfortable for our patients that require cleanup at some point in the future. Uh, we talked already about some absolute intrusion of the lower anterior, some relative intrusion to correct the overbite. In the upper anterior, it's very important that we uh, are cog uh, cognizant of uh, intruding and torquing these teeth, these upper incisors, that is also very useful in correcting the overbite. In the lower buccal segments, just like with fixed appliances, leveling the curve of speed by extruding the bicuspids as well as intruding uh, the lower anterior is very helpful in correcting the overbite. And this seems much more predictable for me in teenage patients treating them with aligners than with adults. And interest interestingly, I find the same phenomenon with fixed appliances. Finally, I find it beneficial to bond one or more of the bicuspids for retentive purposes uh, to help aid uh, with an intruding anterior teeth. So let's get to some cases finally. Here's a teenage patient uh, crowding. There's a buccal crossbite. We've got some uh, rotations of cuspids and bicuspids, and this is sort of a relative intrusion of the lower anterior to correct the overbite. You can see tooth number four is in the buccal crossbite. Our midlines are on. We have a, a let's, let's say more than 50% overbite here, some generalized crowding. Uh, pretreatment pan and pretreatment ceph, nothing too out of the ordinary. So here are my special instructions. This is how I communicate with my technicians. Uh, please stop and start upper and lower treatment at the same time. Expand and buckle segments to help alleviate the crowding. Align 18 and 19 by moving number 19 distal out. On tooth number four, please place a horizontal bevel gingival attachment. Uh, 27, cuspid rotation attachment, rotate the mesial in. And on tooth number 21, uh, place a vertical rectangular beveled attachment uh, that is thicker on the mesial, tapering to the distal, and on the mesial half of the crown. The goal uh, for me is to create a very broad, flat surface to push against to help rotate that tooth. Uh, this is probably before the uh, uh, advent of, of uh, the bicuspid rotation attachments. 
here's my modifications. Uh, tooth number 27, please rotate uh, number 27 mesial in another three quarters of a millimeter in the final alignment without increasing the stages. Likewise, for number 19, rotate the distal out another millimeter in the final alignment without increasing the number of stages. And please adjust the arch forms to have cuspid guidance on the right as well as the left. So here are my pushing vectors of force on tooth number four, that beveled gingival attachment to create this broad surface to push against to help correct that crossbite. It's as perpendicular as possible to that pushing vector of force. Uh, and then we've got this broad attachment here, this broad surface to help rotate that bicuspid in. And again, the, the, the overbite correction here is sort of a relative intrusion. You can see uh, just sort of uh, bringing those teeth down and out uh, to relatively intrude. After 16 stages, we took our case refinement impression, and we're starting to see some improvement. And refinement instructions, please extrude upper and lower bicuspids into occlusion with horizontal beveled gingival attachments. Rotate 21 and 27, and please start and stop the upper and lower at the same time. And so again, if you look here, we're just kind of settling the occlusion into place in the buckle segments, sort of just doing a, uh, uh, almost like running up and down elastics. Here we are, final 13 months. Our buckle segments are much more uh, settled in. The crossbite is corrected. Our molars are, are much better aligned. And of course, our overbite is corrected. Post-treatment pan, before uh, initial on the bottom, uh, final on top, initial on top, case refinement in the middle, and then final on the bottom. You can see the nice settling we have here in the buckle segments during the refinement process. Again, this is an example of a relative intrusion of the lower anterior to help create, uh, correct the overbite. And she recently came in for uh, some re uh, retention uh, photos. So you can see that the overbite has not uh, returned. Here's an adult with um, a deep overbite, and we're going to correct the deep overbite with intrusion of the lower anterior and torquing of the upper anterior. Previous four bicuspid extractions, uh, she ends up losing tooth number 15 during treatment, uh, but you can see the depth of the overbite. When you look at a patient like this, you know that you, yeah, my patients tend to not uh, tolerate bite turbos um, actual bite turbos very well, uh, and so uh, you would have to delay placing the bottom braces on for quite some time uh, while you got these upper teeth up and out of the way. Again, I look at a case like this, and aligners are my client system of choice for treating these deep overbites because of how quick they occur. So uh, special instructions, communicating to my technician, let's start and stop the upper lower at the same time. Create space interproximally during alignment so there are no collisions and then close with a virtual power chain. Uh, I need would like 15 degrees of lingual root torque uh, on number eight and nine with power ridges throughout the whole uh, treatment process. Round out the arch forms and expand cuspids um, and finish with cuspid guidance. So here's kind of the uprighting the curve of Wilson uh, transversely to help correct our overbite. Number, uh, the lower laterals need 20 degrees of distal root tip. Use a vertical rectangular beveled attachment that's thicker on the mesial tapering to the distal and place on the mesial half of the crown. And you always have to be polite to your technician, so I always end with thanks. Uh, modifications. Here's uh, it, when I noticed a lot of my concern is when they, when spaces or contacts, I should say, are tightened up, the teeth tend to be tilted lingually 
in an excessive fashion. So here's uh, my, my uh, communication with my technician. In stages 24 to 28, the upper incisors tip lingually to close the space, and this undoes all the torque that was achieved earlier in treatment. Please close the space uh, between those stages while continuing to apply lingual root torque without extruding these teeth. So in my mind, this is like likening um, my treatment with fixed appliances because I typically finish up with an edgewise wire and a slot that's constantly uh, applying torque if I'm power chaining six to six to close up spaces. So I just want to mimic my ClinCheck design to mimic uh, my fixed appliances. I'd like uh, horizontal bevel gingival attachments on the lower bicuspids. And please increase the rate of torquing on eight and nine so there'll be less interferences earlier on in the ClinCheck with the lower anterior. And then at stage nine, you can place those attachments on those lower laterals. So we can see in the ClinCheck here, uh, I did not have the sufficient room to place the lower um, attachments on. And so I asked them to increase the rate of torque earlier on so, boom, I can add my attachments right there and then continue on my treatment. So I'm torquing the upper anterior teeth. I'm intruding the lower anterior teeth only to correct the overbite. I'm not extruding the, the lower bicuspids here, uh, as I, you will see on my teen cases coming up. So this is more of an absolute intrusion of the lower anterior while uh, torquing the upper anterior. And you can see during the space closure, there's lingual root torque continuously added to those teeth rather than tipping those crowns lingually. Very important. You can see I'm broadening the arch form to help upright the curve of Wilson. Look at that nice space created interproximately with tooth movement, not IPR, to free up the space so there's no binding between the teeth. And then you can see I add attachments here. They're placed on the mesial surface of the crown, so I've got this broad surface interproximately to push against to affect my uh, distal rotation as well as my distal root tip uh, on, on these teeth. They're beveled so that there is tolerance if there is slippage, and they're placed on the mesial half of the clinical crown so I can start pushing the crown from behind the tooth's center of resistance. Here we are, stage 14, just to show how well everything is tracking. Stage 28, case refinement. Special instructions, eight and nine need 15 degrees of lingual root torque with power ridges, rotate meso uh, number 10 in. Number 23, same attachment as before. Please add 15 degrees of distal root tip and align the lower anterior. So here's my uh, refinement, continuing to add the torque in the upper anterior, distal root tip on that lateral. Look at my overbite correction. And here's my leveling the curvus bay with just intrusion of the lower anterior as well as arch form development. You can see there's a big difference in um, the, the two-step occlusion that used to be. Here we are from a side view with, with my virtual models here where you can certainly appreciate the intrusion that occurred uh, to help level the curvus bay, uh, uh, curvus B rather, uh, on and this adult. And here we are, 10 more stages of case refinement, total treatment time of 16 months. Look at the alignment of number 23 compared to where we started. Here we are at post-treatment pan. She did have a full mouth series pre-treatment, so it's tough to make uh, a direct uh, comparison. But certainly nice improvement. Number six is much more in the smile than it was uh, initially in treatment. And look at the overbite correction. As Bill had mentioned, I don't think I could do this any quicker or faster 
or certainly not as efficient with fixed appliances than with the liners. So cases like this walking in the door, aligners are my appliance system of choice. You just look at the inclination of number 23 and that nice improvement we got. A nice overbite correction. Another adult, deep bite, uh, chief concern, I don't show enough incisors upon display. So as Bill had mentioned, you, you don't want to um, uh, intrude these upper anterior teeth anymore. So all of my intrusion, uh, all of my overbite correction, I should say, is going to come from intrusion of the lower anterior teeth while I torque the upper anterior teeth. And her other chief concern is uh, my lips are very thin. Can you do anything about that? So, of course, I made no promises. Uh, but you can see here uh, very little vermilion border upon display. Uh, she does not show a lot of incisor display here, but very deep overbite. Um, and again, low mandibular plane angle, as you can imagine. So a patient like this, putting brackets on the bottom teeth um, is really not an option in, um, unless you use bite turbos uh, or you delay putting the lower brackets on uh, for quite some time. Now, she has dental work on the posterior teeth, so I can't expand or round out the, the curve of Wilson in this case. I certainly can't extrude these teeth uh, to level the curvus bay. Um, and she ends up actually losing this abutment on the lower left bridge. This premolar uh, has to be extracted. And so all we did was then sever the bridge, and I just kept her wearing her aligners uh, right back to the molars, which you will see. So special instructions. When we have adults with all this dental work, I'm always very aware of this, and I ask my technician to only extend the aligners halfway down the clinical crowns on both the buccal and lingual. This is due to the dental work, and thus by only extending them down halfway on either side will make the aligners much easier to remove rather than have to trim all the aligners uh, once they come in uh, and you have to take them out of the packages. With the upper anterior teeth, do not change the vertical positions of these teeth, again, because of the lack of incisal display. Rather, add 10, 20 degrees of lingual root torque with these teeth with power ridges, intrude the lower 3 to 3 to level the curve of speed, and decrease the overbite. I would, like, I would like horizontal rectangular beveled attachments on the bicuspids. Number 27 is the most, rated, uh, most rotated tooth. Please uh, correct the rotation with an optimized attachment. <clears throat> Number 23, 24, and 25 are all worn at the incisal edge. 26 is not. Hence, 26 might finish a little higher as a result of this. And even with all these special instructions, it still takes me three modifications to get a clin check that I'm happy with. My point to you is that modification and the modification process is part of the process, so expect it. Here's our ClinCheck. Again, I'm not changing the vertical positions of the upper anterior teeth. I'm simply torquing them, and I'm intruding the lower anterior teeth only, so this is more of an absolute intrusion. I'm not even moving the posterior teeth, again, because of the dental work that's involved. Intrusion of the lower anterior teeth. And torquing of the upper anterior. Stage 16 with the aligners in to show how well things are tracking. As I had mentioned, she lost the abutment for that bridge, so we sectioned the bridge, and she's just continuing treatment uh, with the aligner back uh, to that molar. 
stage uh, 19 here with the aligners in and out. Stage 23, impression for case refinement. And you notice the improvement of the, um, of the, the depth of the overbite and certainly the torque on the upper anterior teeth. And then the other chief concern, as you recall, was how much lips she displayed uh, at rest. Here we are, initial photos at the bottom, and uh, about tenths of treatment, ten and a half months of treatment uh, at case refinement, uh, where we have a much better uh, vermilion uh, display uh, of her lips, simply from tooth movement. I did not charge her any extra for this. So here we are at time of refinement, uh, intruding the lower anterior teeth, um, rotating that tooth. She's not complete yet, so I only get her to refinement. But I wanted to show you guys and the appreciation of the ability to be able to, on an adult with posterior uh, dental work, uh, that you are certainly able to do some um, absolute intrusion uh, to help level this curve of spade to help correct the depth of the overbite. And to go from stage one initial go-around and stage one case refinement in about 10 months on an adult case like this is rather remarkable. So let's discuss leveling the curve of speed with bicuspid extrusion and lower anterior intrusion. Here's a teen case, deep overbite. We're going to extrude laterals, uh, torque the upper anterior teeth. Patient I've been seeing, I sent him away on recall. He finally comes back. I let all the posterior teeth uh, erupt completely but I would say 95% overbite. A case like this, how do you bond the lower appliances if it's uh, fixed appliances? You can't without using auxiliaries. But why use auxiliaries if you have an appliance system like aligners at your disposal? Pre-treatment pan. Special instructions. Power ridges on eight and nine. Please intrude these teeth gradually two and a half millimeters during treatment. Extrude number seven, two millimeters. Number 10, three and a half millimeters. For those of you who have seen me before, I have a very specific extrusion protocol uh, to, to capsulize it. It's simultaneous extrusion vertically with simultaneous retraction. Uh, if you go to um, my practice website, I have a publication on there that goes in depth. So that's outside the scope of this discussion. Uh, level the curve of speed by extruding the bicuspids for a total of three millimeters and at the rate of 0.15 millimeters per stage and intruding the lower three to three, a total of four millimeters. Horizontal bevel gingival attachments on upper uh, cuspids uh, and laterals and lower bicuspids. And it still took me two modifications. So let's discuss point number three here and the protocol and communication for leveling the curve of speed. Again, level the curve of speed by extruding lower bicuspids at the rate of 0.15 per stage for a total of three millimeters and entering the lower cuspid to cuspid a total of four millimeters. Is that excessive? Well, let's think about the language of fixed appliances, the language that we know best. And when we put a reverse curve in the lower arch wire and we remove it after being in for a few weeks, it is still convex and that lower arch is still concave. Furthermore, when we slide the wire out of the anterior brackets, that wire goes below the brackets, apical to the brackets, into the vestibule. So is that considered excessive? Well, obviously, no. So asking for a similar amount of movement in our ClinCheck shouldn't be considered strange uh, or odd either. So some people say, well, how are the aligners going to fit on the teeth if, if the bicuspids are up and the lower anterior is so down? Well, an aligner is no different than a wire in that it has flexibility. And our wire, when we, when we wipe a curve in it, is like a spring. 
and that spring does not get completely expressed uh, when it's in the mouth. Likewise, when you um, uh, slide it out, it still has a little extra amount in there, and it's not fully expressed, and there is some flex to it. So that it flexes when you engage the brackets, just like your uh, plastic aligner will flex and clip over the teeth. Even though the static images of, of our ClinCheck show otherwise, we really need to get out of the mindset of, of looking at these static images and thinking that's absolutely what's happening in the mouth. But then why slow the rate down from the default to 0.15 millimeters? I've got no good rationale than to simply make sure that we don't go past the physiologic tolerance of the periodontal ligament during the extrusion process to help avoid a lack of tracking within the aligner. Some have been uh, worried that this is going to extend the treatment uh, and create too many stages. As you will see, this is certainly not the case because I'm treating these deep overbite cases in teenagers in about a year's time. So it's not as if it's uh, increasing uh, the total number of stages. The attachments on the lower bicuspids are uh, horizontal rectangular bevel gingival. I ask them to place them as far occlusally without any interferences with the opposing arch. It's my opinion that these beveled gingival attachments create a maximum amount of surface area uh, to push against when attempting the extrusion. Uh, surface area is a big mantra of mine, so if you maximize the surface area, it, it, it's all that better to, to push against the broad surface. That broad surface then is as perpendicular as possible to your pushing vector of force. And in this case, it's to push the tooth up for extrusion. And finally, I believe that this is the, the best configuration because as the crown tapers in lingually, the beveled gingival attachment flares out, creating this contrasting angle that'll help push the tooth up. If there is slippage between the aligner and the attachment, there is tolerance to continue to push the tooth up, and there's a lack of tracking fit issues. So again, here are my pushing vectors of force. If I didn't have these beveled gingival attachments flaring out as the crown tapers in, um, the, if I had no attachments, my pushing vectors of force would skip right off of the tooth. If I had beveled incisal attachments or beveled occlusal attachments, once that attachment aligner interface slips, you're cooked and it does not continue to track well. That's why I'm a big pro pro proponent of the beveled gingival attachment. So this is not the case I'm going to show you, but here's what was projected on the ClinCheck, and here's what we actually got in the case. So again, you see kind of like the three-step occlusion looks kind of silly, okay? But here's what we actually got in the case. Certainly the plaster doesn't lie. Look at the marginal ridges of the fours and fives pre-treatment versus post-treatment. They have been extruded to help level the curve of speed. So let's get back uh, to this patient. Here are my pushing vectors of force to extrude the laterals and the bicuspids. I'm intruding the upper, the upper incisors. While I'm intruding them, I'm applying lingual root torque, one of my points I made in the introduction. On the lower, I'm extruding the bicuspids with simultaneous intrusion of the lower anterior. Here we are, stage six with the aligners in, with them out. Stage 12 with the aligners in, without. Stage 18, nine months of treatment. Please note how well everything is tracking. There's a lack of fit issues. And here we are, uh, nine months into treatment. To correct this overbite in nine months is, I think, rather remarkable. Case refinement, I'd like mesial root tip and extrude number eight. Um, in today's world, we'd have G4 attachments uh, to help affect this distal root tip. 
back in the day. Uh, all I knew about was the bevel gingival attachment. And so this works, as you will see, but this is like a Mack truck on a tooth as opposed to the G4 uh, second-order root attachments, which are like two very small and sleek Volkswagen Beetles on, on a tooth. And even with these simple instructions, it took me three modifications to get a ClinCheck that I was happy with. Stage five, case refinement. And here we are done, a total of 11 months of treatment. And please note, it's very subtle, but number eight at the time of case refinement to when we complete is, a little, is much more parallel with number nine. But to go from this depth of overbite to this correction of an overbite, torquing of the upper anterior teeth, space closure in under a year, I, I would submit to you, can't be done with braces. Initial pan on the bottom, post-treatment pan on top. Nice smile. Here we are, nine months of retention, wearing upper and lower uh, Essex retainers. And here we are, 18 months of retention. In, in treating these deep overbites, the deep overbite does not return uh, when, when retained with, uh, uh, with plastic uh, aligners. Here's another example for those of you who want to see a Ceph. Uh, here's another teenager deep overbite finished in 14 months, just over a year. Initial Ceph on the left and post-treatment Ceph on the right. And here he is 12 months in retention using the same mechanics of leveling the curvus B on the lower by bicuspid extrusion, lower anterior intrusion, and by torquing the upper anterior teeth. Same protocol I just described, different patient. So in review, the deep bite fright need no longer exist for your teen or adult patients when considering treating them with aligners. What you really need to do is you have to take the time to focus on the etiology of the deep overbite. Think about how you accomplish your corrective mechanics with fixed appliances and then simply design your ClinCheck to do the same, taking into account how your pushing plastic is interacting on your clinical crown. Don't think of it as overcorrection or overengineering. Rather, simply think of it as translating the language and, more importantly, the actions of fixed appliances to aligner therapy. So with that, I'd like to thank you for allowing me to participate and, and thank uh, Bill Gary for a wonderful um, uh, talk uh, prior to me. And uh, I will turn it over back to you, Dave. I want to thank both Dr. Geary and Dr. Nikasis. This is a wonderful presentation that both of you gave today. And we look forward to seeing you on another Ask the Expert webinar. Thanks very much.